the year 1644, a Baptist minister by the name of Roger Williams published a treatise entitled The Bloody Tenet of Persecution. Now, this treatise was intended as a response to the arguments of an influential Boston Puritan clergyman by the name of John Cotton, uh, this clergyman who had given very public support to the role of the state in enforcing religious conformity in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Now, Williams, Roger Williams, disagreed entirely with this position. He, he believed that it led inevitably to violence and to the corruption of true religion. And in opposition to Cotton and to this tendency to, to impose religious conformity, he was trying to argue that the New England colony should allow people freedom of conscience in their exercise of religion. In the long run, as I'm sure you know, that's the position that won out in American history. And Roger Williams, he played no small part in persuading Americans of the good of religious freedom. In fact, that treatise that he published in 1644, the one I mentioned a minute ago, it went on to be read by political philosophers like John Locke and Thomas Jefferson. And it's often cited as one of the sources, one of the inspirations behind the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. But what was the source for Roger Williams' own thinking? What inspired him to argue for political toleration of religious dissenters and for free exercise of religion in these new American colonies? Well, one of his primary sources of inspiration, or at least one that he discusses in that treatise, is actually a parable of Jesus. It's the parable that he tells in Matthew chapter 13 about some wheat and some weeds growing up together in a field. As is often the case, Jesus begins this story by making a reference to the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to explain it with a parable. The kingdom of heaven, he says, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. The comparison between the kingdom of heaven and someone sowing seed, that's not new. In fact, as we discussed in the first session, this is the analogy Jesus uses in his first parable in the Gospel of Mark. And Matthew, Matthew includes that same story in this same chapter of his Gospel, chapter 13, as the story we're discussing here. But there's a difference. Whereas the earlier story focused on the seed, and on the different types of soil upon which it landed. This story develops the analogy by talking about what happens after the seed sprouts. Once the crop starts growing, the servants of the landowner, they report to him that there are weeds growing up in the midst of the wheat. The master tells them that's because an enemy has come in the night and sown weeds in the field. And when the servants, when they ask if they should go and gather up these weeds, he tells them not to, lest they damage the wheat. And instead to wait until the harvest is ready. And at that time, he says, then they can be separated from the wheat and burned. Well, that's the basic story. Although as far as stories go, it 
contains several details that seem rather strange and unrealistic. Take the landowner, for instance. If he has servants, then why does he go and sow the seed himself? Why aren't the servants doing it? And why does Jesus say in verse 25 that it is the servants who are sleeping? Does the landowner himself not sleep? And then there's the strange instructions that are given to the servants when they ask what should be done. At least they, they seem to be strange from an agricultural perspective. If the weeds are distinguishable from the wheat at an early stage of growth, why would you just let them grow up with the wheat? As multiple commentators on this parable have noted, that, that goes against common agricultural practice and wisdom in the ancient world. That's not what you would do. So as a story about planting and harvesting, this story doesn't seem to make a lot of sense sometimes. But of course, that's not really the point, is it? Like all of Jesus' stories, there's a deeper meaning to it. And on this occasion, Jesus does something that he really rarely does. He actually explains the meaning behind the story. The sower of the seed, he says, is himself, is the son of man. And the field is the world in which he is at work. The good seed, the one that turns into wheat, that refers to certain kinds of people, those whom Jesus calls sons of the kingdom. Whereas the bad seed, the weed that was sown in the night, that refers to another kind of people, the sons of the evil one. The harvest, Jesus goes on to say, is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned as fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Now, as Jesus goes on to explain, at the end of the age, in the day of final judgment, the angels will gather together all the weeds, all those that live against the law of God, Jesus says, all those that cause others to sin, and the angels will cast them into the place of God's judgment. Well, that's, that's how Jesus explains the parable, but as you might notice, for as much as his explanation seems to take into account pretty much every aspect of the story and give it some kind of meaning, there's one group of characters whom he doesn't mention. He tells us who the landowner sowing the seed is, and he tells us who the harvesters are, but he doesn't say anything about those servants that come to the master asking what has happened and what they should do about it. And I think that's significant. I think, it's, I think it's significant that Jesus doesn't assign some kind of meaning to these servants. He doesn't explain them because they actually represent his followers. They represent us. And we're supposed to see ourselves in them and to hear ourselves in their questions. And the whole point of the parable is to help us as we ask these questions. Where did these weeds come from? And what are we supposed to do about it? Now let's start with that first question. Where did these weeds come from? When the servants ask the landowner this in verse 27, they really seem to be genuinely surprised by the presence of the weeds. Master, they say, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? That's kind of a strange question, if you think about it. I mean, wouldn't it be more odd 
if there weren't any weeds than if there are, weeds tend to show up everywhere. You'd think the servants would expect them, but they don't. They're, they're astonished that the weeds are there. And maybe that's part of the problem. Way back in the fifth century, St. Augustine, he applied this parable to a controversy that was dividing the church in his own day. You see, the church in North Africa at that time, it had split over a disagreement on whether or not certain Christian leaders, those who had, who had caved during a time of persecution and had chosen to give in to Roman threats and hand over their Bibles and other sacred books instead of resisting, what to do about them? Well, many of the bishops thought that these people, the, the lapsed or the traditores as they were sometimes called, the traitors, those who handed over these books, they thought that these people should be offered forgiveness. They should be allowed to return to the church. And in fact, they should be allowed to serve as priests and bishops if they're so called. But there was another group led by a bishop named Donatus who thought that people who had lapsed in their faith like that during a time of persecution, that they were obviously not true Christians and they shouldn't be clergy in the church and that any sacraments performed by such lapsed people, that they weren't even valid sacraments. And so the church split into two churches, one that was willing to include those lapsed Christians and one that thought of themselves as a, as a purer and truer church, unpolluted by those lapsed sinners. Augustine, he criticized that second group, not just because he thought they weren't being very charitable and that they were off base to suggest that the validity of things like baptism depends on the personal holiness of the priest, but it was because Augustine thought that that they, just like the servants in this story, fundamentally misunderstood the nature of God's kingdom in this world. They expected the church to be a place of nothing but pure wheat, entirely free of weeds. But that's simply not the case, Augustine said, because according to this parable, when it comes to the time of this present age, the kingdom of God in the world is a, what Augustine called a corpus permixtum. It's a mixed body. It's a field that contains both wheat and weeds. And we're wrong to expect otherwise, to be astonished like those servants were. In our own day, we see evidence of weeds everywhere, in schools and homes, in places of business, even, even in the church. We see people committing acts of abuse. We see injustice. We see corruption. We see immorality. And there are many that use their positions and influence to lead others to do the same. But that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that there are those who commit evil in and out of the church. Because as Jesus says in the parable, while the son of man is at work, sowing seeds of the kingdom, the enemy is also at work sowing his own seeds. Which means that as Augustine told the Donatists in his day, that we shouldn't expect a pure or spotless church in the present age. 
we shouldn't be shocked to discover the presence of weeds. Nor should we think that just because there are weeds, that God is not at work in growing his kingdom. Well, so that's the answer to the first question. Where did these weeds come from? Why are they there? But what about that other question that the servants asked their master? What should we do about these weeds? Should we rid the field of all of them? Or, as the servants put it, do you want us to go and gather them, gather these weeds? Uh, there is a perennial temptation in both the church and in broader society to attempt to purge evil from our midst. Political revolutionaries and social reformers have in various ages attempted to cleanse their societies from the evils of injustice or immorality. At the same time, parallel, there's, there's been a tendency throughout Christian history to attempt to purify the church of those who are insufficiently holy or insufficiently zealous in their faith. Unfortunately, the result of those attempts to, to create a pure weedless church or a pure weedless society, they, the results have often been tragic. Violence and coercion in politics and separation and sectarianism within the church. And this is precisely what Augustine was concerned about in his debates with the Donatists of his own day. And, and you know, it was actually also what Roger Williams in a different way was concerned about in New England. Williams thought that the attempt by John Cotton and other colonial leaders, the attempt to impose religious conformity, he thought that arose from, from a refusal to accept what Jesus says, that in this present life, wheat and weeds grow together, and we shouldn't attempt to create pure weedless societies. He thought that's what the Puritans were trying to do. Of course, this doesn't mean that, that either in church or in society, there should be no response to evil. The Bible says that states have been given responsibility to administer justice to those who commit evil. And as Jesus himself says later in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the responsibility of Christian leaders to, to exercise discipline within their own communities. But that's different. That's a different thing than the attempt to create a weedless church or to root out all the weeds altogether. St. Augustine gives us one reason that we shouldn't pursue such a goal because, as he says, we don't have the ability, really, to accurately distinguish between, well, where are the weeds and where's the wheat? Who is wheat and who are weeds? And even if we could do that, we don't know what plans God may have for their redemption. As Augustine puts it, there is this difference between people and real grain and weeds. For what was grain in the field is grain, and what were weeds were are weeds. But in the Lord's field, which is the church, at times what was grain turns into weeds, and at times... What were weeds turn into grain, and no one knows what they will be tomorrow. And that's wise, but as wise as that is, we don't have to look to Augustine for an explanation of 
why we shouldn't attempt to purge all the weeds from the field. In the story that Jesus gives, the master himself tells the servants, he gives them a reason for not attempting to pull out all the weeds. When they ask him whether they should go and remove them from the field, he says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Or as Martin Luther so memorably says in his own paraphrasing of Jesus's words, those fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. Although they were separated by centuries, by continents, and by cultural differences, there is a similarity to what those, those Donatist Christians were trying to do in ancient North Africa, and to what Puritan leaders like John Cotton wanted to do in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Both of them seemed to think that they could create some kind of pure community. Both thought they could pull out all the weeds. But Jesus says otherwise. For, as he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field. Jesus Christ, he is saying, is sowing the seed of his word and spirit into human hearts and minds. And in so doing, he is producing fruit for the kingdom of God. But he is not the only one at work. In this present age, there is another. Sometimes he's called the enemy, sometimes the tempter, sometimes the deceiver, sometimes the devil. But whatever name you want to give him, the evidence of his work is all around us and is not something that we can eradicate from our midst in this present age. All that we can do is look forward in hope to the day when the harvest will take place and the landowner and his angels will bring final and perfect judgment and make all things right. 